as we worshipped, um, I felt God giving me a prophetic picture. And it's so in line with what Jacques said at the end. We, we didn't speak about that. It was just so in line with what he said at the end where I feel there's a moment where God, almost where the Father wants to take us and sit us down and share something of his heart with us. And the prophetic word was in the form of a, of a chorus in a song. And it says this, Oh, the glory of your presence. We, your temple, give you reverence. Come and rise from your rest and be blessed by our praise as we glory in your embrace, as your presence now fills this place. And that line, as we glory in your embrace, it just hit me as I stood here. And the picture I had was of a father coming to stand next to his son or his daughter and putting his arm around them because they're battling with something. They're battling to get something right and they're just getting it out of, out of place and they're not getting it right. And he, this father comes and he puts his arm around his child and says, now, nah, now, nah, let me show you, this is actually how it's done. And in a moment, just with a little tweak, just with a little reset, Everything falls into place because the father took some time out with his child. And I feel that tonight this is what God wants to do. He wants to put his arm around us, each one of us individually. And for some of you, there might be a real tweak, a real, a real reset of how you're thinking. For some of it might just be a small adjustment. But I want to ask you to be open. Be open for whatever God wants to do. Forget about what you know. Forget about what you've been taught from childhood. And just let the Word of God pour over you. And change what He wants to change inside of you. So if you have your Bibles, or your flat screens, whatever it is you turn to, um, we can turn to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7. Now for those of you who came tonight, you are fortunate you're getting an early Christmas message. This might be the earliest Christmas message that you ever got. But it's not, because this is actually the time, October is actually the time closer to where Jesus was really born than when we celebrate his birth in December. So we are not, we're, we're not early. We're actually on time. And as I thought about what we saw in the news about Israel being attacked, it just dawned on me that we're actually in the season where over 2,000 years ago, God did something so amazing that changed the history of the world. And now in this time, the enemy comes and he wants to distract of what God has done on the earth. But God is God, and God will not be mocked. God is God, and He, yes, we are praying for lives. We are praying for, for, for lives to be saved and people not to die in these circumstances. But our God is a big boy. If you mess with Him and you mess with His people, 
He's, he's more than big enough to sort it out. And before I start preaching, uh, I just feel like sharing something that, one little testimony of something that happened in Switzerland while I was there, because it's, it's applicable to here. Because there's always this tension in church, do we talk about Israel or not? Because some people are afraid to talk about Israel, so others have Israelititis. And we need to find the balance. And while I was in, Israel, uh, in, in Switzerland, we had a prayer meeting early in the morning, and one of the young men asked, he had a burden, he wanted to pray for Israel, and he wasn't sure what the leadership felt about should we be praying for them or not um, because of that tension that's there, um, or, or in general in churches. So he asked the leader there, could we pray for Israel and me being the visitor there, he looked at me and said, so how do you feel about it? And um, in that moment, I got a, a prophetic picture that just dropped in my heart, and I hope it will be helpful for you. When we flew over, and we had many flights and long stayovers, but every time a flight started, the flight attendants would come and stand in the passage and then do some drills, health, health drills. And one of the things they said was, if there is an emergency, masks will drop from, from the, the, the top part of the uh, um, cabin. But please put your mask on first before you assist anybody else. And the picture I got was often when people get taken up with a mission, often when they, specifically around Israel, when they get taken up with a mission, they actually try and put an oxygen mask on, the, on, the, on Israel before they actually take care of themselves. And, and in that moment I realized, you know what, it's important they actually say it. It's important that you put your mask on and that you survive so that you can then help others. And often I find that when people get taken up and, and, and it becomes a mission in their hearts that they actually want to help others by putting the mask on them and it's of no use because they are suffocating. So if you're battling with that, if you're wondering where you should fall in, put, put your mask on. Make sure that you're in right relationship with God. We pray for everybody. Anybody that needs God, we pray for them. Anybody that needs Jesus as Lord and Savior, we pray for them. We care about them. We want to see them saved. But make sure you've got your mask on. Make sure you're breathing well so that you can help, help others get in close relationship with God. Okay, you won't pay for that. It's free of charge. It's after the offering. So, um. so why... Why this scripture, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Verse 7, and of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. And on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this, this time forth and forevermore. 
that the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And we have verse 6 up there again, please. So I'm going to focus tonight on, for unto us a child is born, and to us a son is given. And, and I'm just going to unpack that because I, I, I sense that there are people amongst us, and I've come across quite a few people in personal conversation, that to them, being a Christian just means that they're not Muslim. It just means that they're not Hindu. And therefore, the only other box for them to tick is being a Christian. But the thing is, a Christian is not somebody who's born in a Christian country. It's not somebody who's born in a Christian home. I mean, by me just... Like I always say, I live in a granny flat. doesn't make me a granny. A Christian is not somebody who's born into a Christian country. A Christian is somebody who's born again. That's the difference. And maybe you have, maybe you've given your life in all sincerity. You have given your life to attending church. Maybe you started young in Sunday school and you went to youth. And, and, and through the years, you've been faithfully going to a church, and maybe you're visiting here tonight. And, and according to you, you're doing everything that a Christian should be doing. But Christianity is not about what you do. It's about who you believe in and who you have a relationship with, Jesus Christ. And as we unpack the Scripture tonight, these two lines, I hope that that you'll understand what is the Word of God saying. And I speak to people, I hear lots of opinion, I hear lots of, but I believe this. You can be sincere in your belief, and it could be wrong, and you could be sincerely wrong. And you can be sincerely on your way to a lost eternity. So please, uh, I'm, it's a matter of life and death. I'm not, I'm not sharing this with you because... I want to criticize what you believe or I want to correct what you believe. I'm sharing this with you because I would like to see you experience what it is to be a true child of God. To have a relationship with Jesus Christ and to come into the kingdom and to experience the fullness of His glory. And tonight as the Father puts His arm around you, as He embraces you, allow Him to bring correction to tweak you so that you can experience the fullness of what He has for you. So, why, why did God speak through Isaiah to write this scripture? And this scripture speaks about Jesus. I mean, we all know about this. So that's why it's been preached so many times over Christmas time. It speaks about Jesus, and it's been written 700 years before the birth of Jesus. And I want to illustrate it with these two paintings up here. I believe Sharon painted them. And I believe that somewhere in her heart, she had a picture that she had to paint on a canvas that would express what she had in mind. That there, I don't think those two paintings just happened to be. She started painting and then it's, poof, it's a wave. 
And she started off with a picture in mind so that we could see what's going on in her mind. That's, that there was the picture she had. And in the same way, this scripture is a, is a description by God. It's a painting by God on a very large canvas, the canvas of the universe. It's a, it's a painting by God to show us what His plan of salvation is for mankind. So this is a painting, if you want to describe uh, Isaiah 9 verse 6, you can say it's a prophetic picture drawn with a brush that was tipped, uh, dipped in a bucket of immeasurable love. And then God's heart was painted on this big canvas for us to see how He really loves us. We actually sang that was now, oh, how we love you. But this scripture shows how He loves us. It says this, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. It's in two lines, Jesus, the Messiah, is depicted. Because God needed somebody to meet his standard. God created man, and then man fell into sin, and God set a standard right from the start that to forgive sin, the innocent had to die for the guilty. And that was God's standard right from the start. The innocent needed to die for the guilty. And that's why when Adam and Eve um, sinned, God had to kill animals because that scripture said, and they were covered with, with skins. Now, you can't get a skin without killing the, the animal. So in that, in that aspect, animals had to die. But it was innocent animals. If you look at um, Abraham and Isaac, when Abraham had to offer Isaac, and to save Isaac, an animal, an innocent animal had to die. That's God's standard. And if you look at the, the, the Exodus where, where God's people came out of Egypt, uh, it said, take a lamb... Take the blood of the lamb, put it on the doorpost, and if you found behind that blood, you'll be saved. So again, an innocent animal had to die for, for, to, to save other people. But the problem with that method was when the law came in, is that the lamb, the blood of an animal only took the sin away for a, for a year. But God needed, God needed a perfect human being to die in our place so that sin could be forgiven forever. Because God doesn't just forgive sin. Sin must be paid for. Then He forgives it. And there was no such man on earth. And therefore, a child was born and a son was given. It wasn't just a random thing. It is, the Holy Spirit here describes the dual nature of Jesus. Fully man and fully God. A child was born. A child was born and a son given. I keep on thinking these things in my head and it's not. The child born refers to Jesus' humanity. The son given points to his deity. His God. 
You see, the sun could never be born because the sun existed long before the earth existed. Jesus, there was a time that Jesus was not the child. But there was never a time that Jesus was not the son. He's from eternity to eternity. Jesus is the son of God. And that's the God part, fully God. But to identify with man and our sinful nature, we had to have a perfect man. And that's why the child was born. So now you have, you have fully man, fully God. And because the child was born unto us, it is now expected of us to be born unto the child. That's why Christians are born again. We are born, when we are born... In, in, uh, 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 in this world, we are born unto our parents. A child is born unto his parents. But when you are born again, you are born unto Jesus. So the child was born and therefore it's required of us to be born unto him. We cannot become a Christian. You cannot become a born again believer by association. Just because you hang out with good people, just because you hang out with people who call themselves Christians, just because you attend a place where Christian is written on the, or church is written on the, on the steeple, that doesn't mean that you are a Christian. A Christian is somebody who's born again. A Christian is somebody who got, who got to a place where he repented of his sin and accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior and submitted himself to, the, to Jesus because because the son was given, I said, the child was born and we need to be born unto the son, uh, the child. And because the son was given, we need to be given unto the son. That's the easy way, easiest way to remember what it means to be a believer, is that I'm born unto the child and I'm given unto the son. Meaning that I'm, from the day that I've accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior, I'm giving my everything. I'm totally committed. I'm totally committed to walk this road with Him. In 1971, that's before some of you were born. 1971, on the 14th of July, of June, 14th of June, at about 2 o'clock, the afternoon, it was a Monday afternoon, I made that decision to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. And from there on, that was the beginning of, of my, my experience of being saved. I accepted Jesus then from that day on for 52 years now already. I'm being saved every day. I was born unto the son that day, but after that, I was given to the... I was born unto the child, but after that, I was given to the son on a daily basis. And even today, I am given to him. I'm, I was saved by grace. I'm being saved by grace, and I will be saved by grace. So it's not just a once of a decision, and then I can live like I want to. I can live like a moral pygmy, and, and nothing will happen to me. No, I've got to be given to the Son. I've got to give myself. I've got to surrender myself on a daily basis. It doesn't mean that, that, that I walk around like a neurotic and wonder, will I lose my salvation now? Will I lose? It's, it's not that. There is, there is a blessed assurance for the believer if you 
daily submit yourself to the Son. You don't have to worry, oh, will I make it or won't I make it? Often people, you will hear from the pulpit, people talk about, but you can lose your salvation. And, and I totally agree with, with that because the Word says that in Hebrews. You can. But, but I want to take it one step further. It's, it's, it's not a question of just losing it like you weren't aware of it. It's a question of surrendering your salvation, giving up on it, turning your back on God and walking away from Him. And Hebrews actually, as you read through Hebrews, it's a, it's a matter of as, when you walk away from God, the question is, will you have the opportunity to come back to Him? There's no guarantee. So we have to, it's in the beginning, in that first moment when we accept Jesus as Lord and Savior, we are born unto the child. But after that, we have to be given to the Son with the same kind of commitment that the Son was given to us. So this is a daily walk with God. It's not just something I do once and then I forget about it. It's about being saved on a daily basis. So Jesus had to be born a child so that he had to be fully man so that he could make atonement for us as sinful men. And I know atonement would be a big word for some. It was a big word for me. But the easiest way to remember atonement is to take the word and break it up the way it's written, at one minute. Look at the word atonement. It's at one minute. So making atonement is to get you at one minute with God. To be accepted, to be forgiven. So Jesus was born the child so he could make atonement. But there's something that we sometimes don't uh, um, focus on in the fact that he was born so that he could also be our high priest. One that understands our suffering. One that understands what we go through. One that understands the sin that we're battling with because he was faced with the same things. So he had to be born a man to fulfill that part. Because the difference between a high priest in the olden days under the law, the high priest could only identify himself with the offering, with the sacrifice, by putting his hand on the sacrifice. The high priest could identify himself with the sacrifice, but he never was the sacrifice. Jesus not alone was the high priest, but he was also the sacrifice. Because he was perfectly man perfectly God. He wasn't just the sacrifice. He was the sacrifice and the high priest. The difference, another difference between him and the high priest that we knew on earth was when the high priest was on duty, he would stand there day after day making sacrifices for the people. But Jesus, after making one sacrifice, Hebrews says, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. You know why? Because the job's done. Never to be done again. Jesus completed what God expected of him on the, on the cross. He completed that. And after making that sacrifice, he sat down and is interceding for his children. Meaning that 
the, the ministry of, of salvation is not complete. And that's just what I've said. The ministry of salvation is not complete because Jesus as high priest is still interceding for us day by day. And that's something that we should be very grateful for. Because in our weakness, we sin. But we can come because we have a high priest who understands our situation and one who has empathy with us, has understanding with us. We come to him and we repent of our sin and he intercedes for us and he forgives us. He was fully God and he needed to be fully God. This child that was born um, needed to be fully man and fully God because as I said, the high priest could only, the earthly high priest could only identify with sin, but Jesus could take away the sin. The, the high priest could only identify with the sacrifice, and for a, for, a, for a year your sin was forgiven. But the son that was given, he had the ability to take away the sin of this world. And you all look like that doesn't matter. It matters. It matters. Because that means that I can stand here and I can say, Jesus has accepted me. I'm his child. I'm forgiven. It matters. But then we need to live lives that line up with what matters. We need to live lives that line up with the Holy Word of God. And we hear scriptures like this, we should be jumping out of our seats, running around the building 10 times and doing 50 push-ups. And, and by then you maybe could catch up with me. <laughs> Guys, I'm not trying to, 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 to churn you up. But this is the very essence of what we believe. This is the very essence of why Jesus came. Jesus didn't come to give us Christmas. He came to give us eternal life. And so often it's more about, it's more about Christmas and the tree and the presents. I'm not breaking that down. Please, please, that's a different topic to talk on. But I kind of tell you this. When God, when God had in mind to send the Son, He had the tree in mind. Yes, I can guarantee you that. But it wasn't a Christmas tree. It was a cross. And there wasn't green tinsel on it and little red figures. It, the, the, cro the cross was red, yes, but it was because of the blood of Jesus. And there were no little angels hanging on it. It was the Son of God hanging on that cross because of our sin. Because Jesus wanted to reconcile sinful man with a holy God. And that was the price that was required. And let me tell you this. Jesus did not pay that price to the devil. He paid that price that God demanded. Because God doesn't just forgive sin. Sin needs to be paid for. And Jesus paid with his life. He's the son. He's the, he's the eternal son that was given. He's the perfect, infinite man that could make a sacrifice that would give perfect, perfect, infinite atonement. And he's the only one, the Lamb of God, the one who is worthy to open the seals, is the only one that was worthy to lay down his life so that we could go free.
We serve an amazing God. We serve a God that loves us when we were yet sinners. We cannot take that for granted. We cannot trample on that. Paid the highest price for us. See, Jesus, when he needed to come do this reconciliation for us, he needed to deal with a, a situation that God faced. Because, like I said, God set his standard already. So God can't change his standard. The innocent needs to die for the guilty. And Romans, Romans um, 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The free gift, the Son was given. He's the free gift. And in Him, in Him, there is eternal life. That's why I said Jesus didn't come to give us Christmas. He came to give us eternal life. Jesus dealt with what the requirement that God had. And in that moment when... when Jesus hung on the cross. God's grace was displayed. This scripture, this scripture about for unto us a son, a child is born, and to us a son is given, is a display. It's a prophetic drawing of the salvation plan that God had for man, and it was drawn 700 years before it actually came into fulfillment. But God's grace was on display. You see, because like I said to you before, God is a righteous God. And His righteousness flows out in the form of His justice or His grace. Now, to, 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 to satisfy God, God's justice, we have to fulfill the whole law. But fortunately, the law is not there for us anymore because of Jesus. It's His grace that's there for us. Because of God's justice, God... God's divine justice de demands payment for sin. God's divine grace says He doesn't expect that payment from us anymore. Because Jesus paid it all. Divine justice de demands payment. Divine grace says it's not from us. God put His justice, His, his demand on his son. In Isaiah 53, he put his, his justice, his demand for justice, the payment for sin, he put that on his son so that his righteousness could be put on us. That's the exchange that happened. Jesus took our sin so we could get his righteousness. And that's something, that's something to live for. That's something worthwhile committing your life to the Son for. The fact that He gave everything to remove the sinful stain. Though your sin be as scarlet, He will make it white as wool. He did everything to remove, to remove that sin stain of us. It's worthwhile being born unto the child and being given unto the Son. God intervened. When He came to the cross, God intervened. God could see that we will never meet all the requirements for His justice. 
So he gave us his grace. And in 1 John 4 verse 10, it says this. Now I would like to advise you, don't try and read this scripture on a Saturday night if you had too much to drink, because there's one word in there that's very difficult to say. Either if you're drunk or if you've got false teeth, don't say it. In this is love. Not that we have loved, but God, loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son. You see? Son was given. He sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sin. And in that moment on the cross, in that moment where Jesus hung there and He was nailed to a cross and he had a crown of thorn on His head and the blood kept pouring down, in that moment, He became the propitiation for us, for our sin. It basically just means that God was satisfied. He appeased God. He pleased God. He pleased the wrath of God. And therefore, therefore, there is no further demand for payment for our sin from us as believers. Because Jesus paid it all. In Psalm 85, we read these words. I think these, this is the most beautiful words that refer, in the Psalms that refers to the cross. It says this, Steadfast love and faithfulness meet. Righteousness and peace kiss each other. That's what happened on the cross. That's the beauty of the work of the cross of Calvary. As the shadow of a cross arose upon that lonely hill, steadfast love and faithfulness met, and righteousness and peace kissed each other. We give ourselves to many other causes. We give ourselves to many things. We give ourselves to our careers. We give ourselves to rugby teams. We give ourselves to netball teams, maybe, I don't know, um, um, Water polo. <laughs> we give ourselves to, to, to many things. I want to ask of you, if you've listened to what the Word of God said tonight, don't you think it's worth to give yourself to the Son? Why are we living lives that are on and off like a light switch? One day we're on, one day we're off. One day we're on, one I can only think that we haven't seen, that we haven't seen the value of what Jesus has done for us on the cross of Calvary. I'm going to end with this. It says, is it up there? Verse 6? Can we have verse 6 again? Uh, okay, it says, For unto us a child is born, Unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. And some people see that as one word, Wonderful Counselor. Some people see it as Wonderful Counselor. But here's the point. We haven't got time to go into all those names. That will keep us here another hour. But his name is wonderful. His name is wonderful. 
But this word, that sentence before it says, His name shall be called. And I know, I know that you often think that that means that he was named wonderful. Right? Wonderful. Beauty. <laughs> Passion. No, no. Yes. He's all of that. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. He's all of that because he's God. But I want you to see that the scripture is very clear. His name shall be called. Wonderful. What does that mean for me? For me, I'm taking some 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 pro, uh, poetic license here. I'm saying that his name shall not be thought as wonderful. It shall be called. Have you called on that name? His name is called wonderful. It means that there needs to be a time, like Romans Romans. Uh, um, 10 verse 9 says that we need to believe in our hearts that Jesus Christ is Lord and we need to confess with our mouths that the God has risen from the dead. That means, confess means you speak it out. His name shall be called. I don't think His name is called enough today on earth. I don't think as we live our lives that we call on His name enough, that we proclaim His name enough. We need to get into habit to call Him wonderful. To call him mighty God. To call him Prince of Peace. His name shall be called. By us. Not by the angels. Not by anybody else. His name shall be called. By us. Can I ask you, have you called on his name? Have you called on his name? Have you gotten to the place where he said, Jesus, but not as a swear word? We said, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, I need you. Have you called on his name? I was hoping that um, I've got this good reminder. Jesus just pulled this little leaflet out because I've got a song here that I'm reminded of that I tried to think, what's the words that I forgot? I had the page in here. But... I, I can't even begin to explain what the word, word wonderful means. Because we have misused that word so much. You ask somebody, well, come for a bride. Oh, that's wonderful. No, that's not Jesus. I'm sorry, that's bride's not Jesus. Oh, would you like a cup of tea? Oh, that would be wonderful. No, no, it's not Jesus. No, 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 it's not Jesus. So, so if a cup of tea is wonderful, where does it leave Jesus? If a chocolate cake has become awesome, where does it leave Jesus? And that's why I love this song. For he is more wonderful than my mind can conceive. He is more wonderful than my heart can believe. He goes beyond my highest hopes and fondest dreams. He is everything that my soul ever longed for. Everything that is promised and so much more. He is more than amazing, more than marvelous. He is more than miraculous could ever be. He is more than wonderful. That's what Jesus means to me. But does he mean that to you? Does he mean that to you? Because if he does... It will show in the way you live. 
If it does, it will show in the way that you deal with other people. But I want to focus on, on that person that God is speaking to tonight where he put his arm around you and he wants to adjust your thinking because your thinking is that because you went to Sunday school or because you, got raised, you were raised in a, a, a godly home that that makes you a Christian and he wants to change that and say, no, it doesn't. It might just make, might just make you a nice person at best. But what he wants from you is to make this shift from religion to relationship. Where you call on His name. Where you can truly say, I call Him Mighty God. I call Him Prince of Peace. I call Him Savior. 